All right. So uh, Psalm 30 has got a description for us uh, in the title. Um, and this, is, this was actually part of what was written out there. It wasn't uh, extra stuff that was put in later. There's a lot of places in the Bible where we've got like superscripts over above things that say what it is. The blessedness of answered prayer is something that was extra that was put into the Bible. If you have that in yours, a psalm, a song at the dedication of the house of David was there as part of the text. So a psalm, the telhelim, the praise, a song at the dedication of the house of David. And the house of David is built in Jerusalem, and we read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 5. So you should all be there, because I told you to be there. Second uh, Samuel chapter 5. And so David has conquered living space in Jerusalem. And in verses 11 and 12, it says, Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. David had reigned over uh, a small portion of Israel from Hebron for a time, uh, and then finally all of Israel came under his, uh, under his purview, under his leadership. Uh, initially, uh, th- there were tribes that wanted nothing to do with him, but when he came back, everybody came under his leadership, and his house has been established. And we've got this, uh, this indication of what this psalm is for at the dedication of the house of David. And so I don't know if this psalm was penned when this house went up, right? So Hiram puts the last stone in place, or his stonemasons and carpenters put the last stone in place, and David sends out notes that they're having a housewarm party, and he gets a bread maker and too many toasters that he doesn't know what to do with. I don't know if it's then, after they built David a house, or if it's penned after what God says to him in 2 Samuel 7. And we are going to read the entirety of 2 Samuel 7 because I think that it is important that we hear it. Now it came to pass, 2 Samuel 7, Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, 
over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in, my Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, and you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land, before your people whom you redeem for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house Establish it forever and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, therefore your servant is founded in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. So, God, as we go into your word today, will you give us what you have for us, Lord? Will you help us to open our hearts? Will you fill us with the knowledge of you, with the understanding of your attributes, with the understanding of your personality, God, and how you work with men and the sons of men, and how you hold to your promise? 
Lord, anything that you want for us, we are saying right now that we are open to receiving from you, God. Help us to put aside everything else that will go on this afternoon and tomorrow and in the future and to say, Lord God, your servant is listening. Speak. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the house that Hiram built for David and its dedication is nothing in comparison to the house that God is talking about building for him in 2 Samuel 7. A house that will be built forever. Let your name be magnified forever, and let the house of your servant David be established before you. So how far does the faithfulness of God go? Because we know things are not going to go great for Israel. His son Solomon is going to reign after him. And even in David's own reign, we know that things are going to go pretty south. So how far does this faithfulness of God go? And we're focused on a psalm that marks the dedication of the house of David. So let's take a little journey through the scriptures and find out where else we hear about this house of David. So Chronicles 21 if you want to turn there, a few chapters, not a few chapters, but a few books after 2 Samuel. You've got 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and then 1 and 2 Chronicles. So I should tell you which of the Chronicles it is. <laughs> Second. Second Chronicles chapter 21. Now this is during the reign of Jehoram. Jehoram is five kings and 122 years after David. And Jehoram is not doing good stuff. When he had established his kingdom, he strengthened himself by killing all of his brothers. Son of Jehoshaphat killed all his brothers. 32 years old when he became king. And he walked in the ways of Ahab from Israel. Verse 7 says, Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. The next time we see this is in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 22. Comes up, the house of David comes up in the writings of Isaiah and Jeremiah. Isaiah is 200 years after David and prophesies during the reigns of multiple kings. Isaiah chapter 22 God is speaking here uh, through Isaiah about Eliakim. Eliakim's name means God sets up. And he was going to succeed Shebna, not to be 6 and 37. Shebna 
who was over the master of Hezekiah's household. He says in verse 22 of chapter 22, he's going to take away this honor from Shebna and give it to Eliakim. God sets up the key of the house of David. I will lay on his shoulder so he shall open and no one shall shut and he shall shut and no one shall open. Shebna had somehow exalted himself. It says that he had built a sepulcher, thank you, for himself. He was ignoring the prophecies that Isaiah was bringing. He said, me and my family, we're going to be fine here forever. God was saying that that wasn't going to be the case, and he had exalted himself. And God says, I'm removing you. And we've got that going on in the background But God's talking about something else here, the key of the house of David. And he's going to give it, he's going to lay it on the shoulder of Eliakim. Doesn't own it, it's just on his shoulder. And we get this picture of outside of everything else that's going on, running in the background, running in the background. You ever look at your computer, the little window pops up, Your virus scan is running in the background. There's all sorts of things going on while you're on Facebook or whatever else you're doing on your computer. Thank God you're not on it. Me neither. But I miss Rick and Gail's updates by not being on it, so I don't know what to do. Um, But there's all sorts of things running in the background. And everything that's happening in Isaiah, there's these promises of God running in the background and this this key to the house of David, this house of David that God had given these amazing promises. Jeremiah, in chapter 21 of Jeremiah, this is 330 years after David. One chapter after Isaiah, Jeremiah 21. Here we have God pleading with the house of David. Chapter 21 and verse 12. O house of David, thus says the Lord, execute judgment in the morning and deliver him who is plundered out of the hand of the oppressor, lest my fury go forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. And God is here still trying to get the house of David to repent, still pleading with them, pleading with the house of David, despite all their sin, they would not execute judgment in the morning. They would not deliver the plundered, and they were exiled. But God's concern for the house of David keeps popping up, his promises to the house of David, stretching out throughout his word. Where do we find it next? In Zechariah, from exile in Babylon. So this is about 520 years after David, and then another 70 years for when they were in exile in Babylon. So this is about 600 years after this promise of God through Nathan to David about establishing his house. 
There's 21 kings after David over Judah. And now no one sits on the throne. But God was not done with his promise to and about the house of David. Look in Nehemiah chapter 12. Now, Nehemiah is tricky. It's before Job and Ezra. Uh, No, it's after. Ezra, Job, and Nehemiah. I got to think of the song all the time, right? Ezra, Job, Nehemiah. I better be right. Oh, no. Boo. I'm going to the table of contents. It's too late. I'm going this way now. Oh, yeah, there it is. Page 693. 693 in, my, in the Bible I'm using. So in chapter 12, so very interesting here. Um, Nehemiah has uh, people have already gone back to Jerusalem and they have rebuilt the temple. And they write back, he gets a note from uh, Hanani about the walls of Jerusalem and how the people are in distress and they're reproached because the walls are all broken down and they're at risk from all their enemies all around them. And so Nehemiah... Uh, goes back to rebuild the walls, and that work goes on. And in chapter 12, they're dedicating the walls. The walls have been rebuilt in spite of great opposition. And in chapter 12, they're dedicating the walls. And in verse 37, it talks about how by the fountain gate in front of them, they went up the stairs of the city of David on the stairway of the wall beyond the house of David, as far as the water gate eastward. What is he talking about? Well, at the dedication of the wall, uh, Nehemiah and other officials stood at the temple, and they had two choirs of thanksgiving that went out from either side from them. And it names off all of these places that indicate how long each of the choirs were. And that's what it's talking about in this scripture, that to the east, the choir went as far as by the mountain gate, up the stairs of the city of David, to the stairway of the wall, beyond the house of David, as far as the water gate eastward. On the other side, it went past the fish gate and the tower of Levin and the tower of 100, all these different things. But the house of David here, and this this is what impresses me about this, So we haven't heard about the house of David for a long time. And here in Nehemiah, all it is is a marking place for how far the choir of thanksgiving goes. What do you think this house of David looked like in comparison to the one that Hiram sent his masons and carpenters to build for David? What do you think was there at that time? I mean, they had just gotten the walls built. And it certainly wasn't the palace that had been built for David. All it is here in Nehemiah is a footnote. 
of how far the choir, the old gate, the tower of ovens, the fish gate. But it is so much more to God than that. And because it's more to God, it means more to us. And God is still making sure he's dropping it in and making sure it's not forgotten. The house of David is not forgotten because I made a promise. And all you may be able to see is a pile of rubble. That may be all that you see of it now, but it will become something more. Zechariah chapter 12. It's further back in your Bible. Just before Malachi, before Matthew. You hit Matthew and go backwards a little bit. I'm going to read two verses from Zechariah. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for firstborn. God had not forgotten about the house of David. And then in chapter 13 and verse 1, he says, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for uncleanness. For he had pled with them in in Jeremiah, execute judgment, save those that are plundered. He says, I'm going to take care of all of that. I'm going to take care of all of that, all of what you did not do, because I made a promise. Because God made a promise, and he will see it through. And the next time we hear this phrase, the house of David, Luke chapter 1. Verses 26 through 33 say this. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. When they were rebuilding the wall uh, in Nehemiah, the enemies of Israel came and said, aren't you trying to put a son of David on the throne? 
aren't you trying to install a new king? They weren't, but God had his timing for when his king would come. And he never forgot and never forgets his promises. Look at the names of the men who wrote about the house of David after its dedication. You got the psalm, the dedication of the house. Ezra, tradition tells us Ezra wrote First and Second Chronicles. His name means help. Isaiah, salvation of Jehovah. Jeremiah, Jehovah founds. Nehemiah, Jehovah has comforted. And Zechariah, Jehovah remembers. God helps, saves, founds, comforts, and remembers those to whom he has made promises, those with whom he has covenanted, and that's now with each and every one of us who have faith in Jesus. The promises of God reigning through over and over and over again. 2 Samuel 11 is where the details of his sin with Bathsheba are told. David's sin with Bathsheba is told. Interesting, it's not retold in Chronicles. Uh, whereas the promises of God to David in 2 Samuel 7 are retold in 1 Chronicles 17. The sin of David does not disqualify him from the covenant that God made with him. The sin of David does not disqualify him from the covenant that God made with him. How interesting that the promise of God is told twice while the sin of David is told once. And the promise of God and the faithfulness of God show through the whole rest of the book, through the whole rest of the Bible. And David's sin, not really mentioned again. Now, sin has consequence. There are great consequences to David's sin. We are talking about two different things here. God's covenant and his promises and consequences are different things. Nathan tells David, and David replies, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Four of David's sons would be killed. He murdered the son of Uriah. I mean, he murdered Uriah, somebody's son. Four of his sons would be killed. The child conceived with Bathsheba. Amnon, who raped his half-sister and David's daughter Tamar, by Tamar's brother Absalom. Absalom himself, who he undertook driving David from Jerusalem, and Adonijah, Adonijah by Solomon's orders. So the exact thing that David said would happen, and there were more consequences than that. But he said, he shall be repaid four times. And that is one of the things that God allowed to happen in his life. There are consequences for sin. When when Nathan comes to David, he says... The sword shall not depart from your house, 
because you have despised me. We need to look at sin as despising God. Sometimes it's really easy to do. Sometimes it's really easy to just be in it. It's despising God, and it has consequences that trail after. Vicious consequences. Am I trying to bring you down? No, I am trying to encourage you to see sin for what it is. I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to encourage me. See sin for what it is, and there are consequences. We need to keep it in mind. There was great different way, the promises and the faithfulness of God. What Nathan would said would say to him, David finally says in verse 13 of 2 Samuel 12, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. But the sword is never going to depart from your house. Brothers and sisters, God has put away your sin. And I would encourage you to keep his promises and faithfulness before you even when the consequences come. We want to avoid consequences. I, I, I'll speak for myself. I would like to sin and have no consequences. So what I'm saying, what my flesh wants to do is despise God and have no consequences. My flesh wants to despise God and have no consequences. God says, I put away your sin. It can't interfere with my promises for you. Your life may be difficult because of it. Your life will be difficult because of it. Our side, because we're experiencing consequences. He's disciplining us as any father that loves their children would discipline us. And he's doing it from love, but he's not taking away his promises. We get consequences confused with the promises of God. And Satan says, yes, please do. Please get those confused. Please think God's abandoned you. Please think that his promises are no longer valid for you. And God says, I have put away your sin. I've dealt with that. My promises still exist for you. You may have consequences, but even those consequences, I will work for your good. If we would see things in the light, right, in the correct light, it would make so much for us. Don't get confused between penalty and consequence. Penalty would be God takes his promises away. The wrath of God resting on us again would be God taking his promises away. Don't get confused. Don't think that consequences mean that. It means difficulty in your life, and God wants to use those things, as he wants to use everything for us. We'll get to it in Psalm 30. Weeping may endure for a night, but a shout of joy will come in the morning. The consequences are momentary. The promises last forever. Not every consequence is a result of our sin either. 
Not every, I do not want to position this as everything that goes wrong in your life is from sin. We know that that's not the case. And don't let the enemy fool you there either. And those things that are happening in your life do not interfere with the promises that God has given you. Nothing interferes with the promises that God has given you. No height nor depth, God, which is in Christ. The one coming, the one that keeps the house of David established, and the one that will return for us. All right, so let's go back to Psalm 30. To finally get there, Psalm 30, a psalm, a song at the dedication of the house of David. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made my supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. Into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Forever. So in verses 1 through 3, David talks about being lifted up, his foes not rejoicing over him, being healed, being brought up from the grave. We know David is writing this at a time when everything's going well, victory after victory. You read through Second uh, Samuel 8, 9, and 10, and it's just all good. They had enemies up till this point, or we know he had had enemies up to this point, Saul, the Philistines. There were times that his life was in danger. There were times that God saved them, that he brought him back, not from the grave, but he kept him alive. What do these verses mean to you from the side that we stand on? of understanding the promises of God and what he's done. He truly has brought our soul up from the grave. Our soul was lost. The eternal part of us was lost, and he brought it up from the grave. And as much as you may feel like your foes rejoice over you, they can't. They can pretend to. But they can't do it. I cried out to you and you healed me. He healed the most grievous wound that we could ever have and made us whole again. Verses 4 through 7, he's praising God. He's talking about God's nature. And again, all of these things, you know, he defeated the Philistines. He defeated the Syrians. 
he brought Mephibosheth back into his house, who was the only remaining uh, relative of Jonathan, Saul's son. All these things going really well, going really well. And you can see it in these verses. Sing praise to the Lord. Give thanks at the remembrance of his name. I think this should well up into great praise for us if we will uh, contemplate it. There is anger for a moment with God and favor for life. Right now, you could say, well, you know, average age of men is 82 years old, so I only get favor for 82 years. No, remember, we have life eternal. Favor for life. Quinces, but favor for life. Joy in the morning. Makes me think of the scripture in First Peter chapter 1. Uh, you will do well to pay attention until the morn until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. That kicks off eternity. <laughs> long, long time. Whatever, re- whatever weeping may happen in this lifetime, it will all be gone. What is your prosperity? He said, now in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. What is your prosperity? Is it your stuff? Amen. If it's your stuff, you will be moved because your stuff is going to get moved. The people you love are going to get moved and they're going to move themselves. And sometimes they're going to move in ways you wish they hadn't. And they're going to treat you in ways you wish they hadn't. Our prosperity has to be in the promises of God, which are not subject to change. And there is permanence. If our prosperity is in God, there is permanence in our prosperity and there's stability in our hearts. Are his promises connected to our physical well-being? Yes. But their true value lies in the eternal nature and our eternal well-being. And then our physical is left more and more in his hands. Satan wants you to focus physical, 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 flesh, 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 flesh. And when we leave it in God's hands, we're leaving it in the one that can actually preserve it and who knows just how to deal with it. In his hands, in his hands. David cries out, the Lord is his helper in verses 8 through 10. There's this idea that death would be the end for him, that there's no praise after he's gone. We know that the dust praises God, and we know that it declares his truth. God wants us to declare his truth. No rocks in our place. No stones in our place. Sing, praise, lift up his name. And we know that the blood of Jesus, the son of David, is very profitable indeed. And it does praise him, and it does declare his truth. Last two verses, 11 and 12. Are we still going about mourning? I was so convicted about the amount of groaning and complaining I do, about how much I worry and how much unsettledness that I live in. God has turned my mourning into dancing. 
He's put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. We need to wear the clothes that God has given us. And it says he's clothed us in Christ. And we need to wear the clothes that God has given us. God has done these things to the end that my glory or my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent, giving thanks to him forever. Remember the promises of God. Put everything else in its right perspective and give praise to him forever. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. And we pray, God, to see things as they really are. And we pray to give up our will to yours. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.